This is Faith and Letters. I'm your host, Ben Bishop. author of Fertile Ground, A Pilgrimage Through Pregnancy. This is an absolutely fascinating book, which uses the experience of pregnancy and birth to connect and reinterpret all manner of Christian doctrine, metaphors, scripture. It's almost like a systematic theology, but much less dry than that sounds, (laughs) much more creative. Uh, From Christ's exhortation to Nicodemus that he be born again to the comparison of childbirth to Jesus' journey through death and resurrection, I found myself seeing and hearing the Christian story in a new way over and over again as I made my way through Laura's book. Laura is an Orthodox Christian, and her book draws heavily, unabashedly, on the Orthodox way of viewing the world, which includes, and we got into this in our conversation a bit, uh, a particular and very moving vision of the role of Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom the Orthodox called the Theotokos, both in the life of the world, uh, in her own life, even just in terms of sort of what life was like for her throughout life as a self-giving mother, not just in childbirth or during the, the childhood of Jesus. So I, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I will give a brief production note as an aside, this uh, is an episode where you'll hear a sound discrepancy. It's just basically a, there, there's a basically the first 15 minutes or so of my vocal recording will sound one way, and then you'll and then you'll notice a dramatic change, an uptick in quality. That's because uh, about 15 minutes into my conversation with Laura, I had the realization that every podcaster's worst nightmare was coming true, and I had forgotten to hit record on my own uh, digital audio workstation, as we call it. I hadn't started running my microphone. It was set up. I was happily talking into it. It wasn't recording anything. So thankfully, I had the backup emergency parachute that I could deploy of my uh, of my Zoom audio recording. So that that files what you're hearing for the first 15, 15 minutes or so that I, that I hit record. And uh, yeah, for the next 45 minutes after that, you can hear a higher quality version of Ben. That being said, I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did, because whether you're a parent yourself or not, I'm really confident there's something for everyone in Laura's book. Thank you so much for, for making time to come on the show. It's a big pleasure. I'm glad to be with you. I'd actually like to start by mentioning how I came across your book. So after I did the first season of my podcast, I reached out. (laughs) I actually reached out to a handful of of publishers and publishing houses because I was like, maybe I can can get some free books now. That's it. (laughs) I have like a calling card. People will see that I have a real podcast. (laughs) No, that was, that was some percentage of it, but I was like, I should, I should sort of uh, stir the pot here and try to get you know, something, some stuff that's outside of maybe my normal, 
stuff that I would gravitate towards um, or just see what's out there in terms of new releases. So it's, I think actually at this point, <clears throat> probably the better part of like two years ago that I contacted Ancient Faith who published your book, Fertile Ground, and they sent me a copy and actually had, I had an email exchange with someone whose name I'm forgetting, but she actually really praised you to high heaven. She was just extolling you. She's like, Laura's so amazing. And this is an amazing book. She'd be a great for your podcast. But I ended up probably, I don't know, within the last six months, I got around to working my way through kind of, you know, what I wanted to do for this season. And I cracked your book. And Laura, I was just, if I'm honest, I was somewhat unexpectedly really sucked in. I was really deeply moved by this book at numerous points. And I'd like to talk about why. But to sort of prime the pump for people, need to ask a couple basic questions. Uh, this book is, I've described it, I've now like told many people about the book <laughs> and how much I've I've really enjoyed it. It's It's a really unique text, but the way I've described it is this is a book by an Orthodox Christian woman who's a working doula, and it's essentially about an Orthodox theology of birth and pregnancy. So my first question is, can you can you tell us a little bit about how you came to the work of being a doula? Yes, absolutely. So um, before I answer that question, I would say that um, you're right. My book is kind of the back door to an orthodox theology of pregnancy and birth, but it is really designed as a week by week guidebook through the spiritual terrain of pregnancy. So it is not a heavy theological tome. So I did, I read theology and philosophy at Oxford University, but I do not consider myself a theologian. I consider myself to be a mother and yes, a working doula and somebody, a Christian who um, just had my faith come alive totally in a new way through my own experiences of pregnancy. Um, so how did I get into doula work? Is that, the, that what you're wondering? Yeah, yeah. So not everybody knows what that is. First of all, maybe I should explain what a doula is. So a doula is a, a friend uh, who accompanies you through pregnancy and birth, a non-medical supporter who um, just provides additional companionship through the spiritual, emotional physical experience of having a new baby, which many of us know is an absolutely huge experience in this world. And um, as a society, Western society, I think we have really great support in place for the physical experience, the medical technical experience of, of managing that. But um, we don't really have sources organic sources of support in our daily lives anymore like experienced aunties or you know mother mothers-in-law who gather around us with their knowledge that was passed down to them from their mothers about birth um, throughout the generations we just don't we've kind of lost that and so doulas step into that gap um, where there isn't the kind of whole person support for this huge and holy undertaking that we we make when we become parents. And I really got into doula work myself when I um, had my experience of my first pregnancy. And like I, I mentioned to you, 
my eyes were suddenly opened to new aspects of my faith that I feel were there all along, but that just I had never noticed, like elements of scripture that just came alive for the first time. Christ's metaphor about salvation is being born again. And so we have to know what being born is if, and, and what that entails. Like, what did he mean um, if we want to understand salvation? Or like this, you know, sitting in church or standing in church, as we Orthodox do, and hearing the words where two or three are gathered together, there I am with them. And I experienced my body as a place where two were gathered together, which if I then devote myself, if I then um, commit, commend my pregnancy to God as a prayer, that makes, it, makes my whole life during pregnancy a place where God is. So, um, so I just really experienced the sanctity of pregnancy and the, this kind of mysterious holy ground that we stand on where heaven and earth are kind of a li little bit more blurry than usual um, because we're dealing with such big, real um, rites of passage. Um, and then through the, the, all the information that I gathered during that time, um, my friends and family members started to call on me to attend them at their, their births. And then I realized quite quickly <laughs> through various painful experiences, how big a responsibility this was to be with other people as they walked through this, this big journey. And I thought I better get qualified for it. So I trained and I've been doing that work for on and off um, about 17 years now. The premise of your book, the central idea I took away, sort of organizing principle is laid out pretty early as uh, you use the phrase, pregnancy is a journey toward the kingdom of God. And that did not at, at first reading strike me necessarily as something, well, I guess I should phrase it the other way. That struck me when I first read it as something that might be hard to spin out and sort of develop into a full length book. But, oh my gosh, there was so, so many different directions that you took this. Um, how did you first get introduced to this, to this, idea um, of pregnancy as a journey toward the kingdom of God? <laughs> well, I'm sorry to tell you, Ben, that it, it came from my own brain. <laughs> and the reason I'm sorry to tell you that is because, um, slightly with my tongue in my cheek here, um, as Orthodox people, um, we uh, usually... Uh, take it as truth that um, if, if there's anything that's novel, we were slightly suspicious of it. And if there's anything we thought of that we thought we thought was original to us, probably somebody already wrote about it in the fourth century. <laughs> um, so um, many of the things that I draw on come just straight from scripture or from the writings of the church fathers. So um, one example straight up is Saint Ephraim of Syrian was writing in the fourth century you know many of these things were already written about and it's just that they they were kind of paired up by me um, as far as I know um, first of all so there isn't another book that I know of that is written by an orthodox Christian for people who are pregnant so you kind of, this was uncharted territory. 
for you in terms of uh, organizing this this much material? Um, I mean, it's a good way to quickly segue and just mention most people listening to this probably have not yet read the book. The as you mentioned earlier, it's it's laid out sort of in like a, a journal or devotional context where you can take one chapter. There's one chapter to correspond for each. Uh, week of a full-term pregnancy the middle of the book has like a it's basically like a set of meditations on imagery or like metaphors traditional christian metaphors which you are sort of like then looking at through the the angle or lens of pregnancy um and then there's like i guess you kind of can't actually remember it's it's sort of broken up temporally as well by you know this is there's some chapters on, you know, or the first trimester essentially. And then there's, you know, like towards the end, there's some, there's a chapter on nesting. There's, there's chapters on basically preparing right at the end for actually giving birth. Um, did you feel like you had to, to sort of search for material to, to, to populate those 30 some weeks worth of chapters did you did you have the opposite problem of having way too much material and having to sort of cull it down how did you go about like drafting this book yes more of the latter than the former definitely I um found that I had to write very tightly to fit in all the things that that I wanted to um so each chapter as you said is um corresponding to a, a certain week of pregnancy and i do find that the spiritual issues that people struggle with are different um depending on what week of pregnancy they're in so that is another aspect in which pregnancy really is a journey um you know you don't take the last steps first you don't take the first steps last you you work through them one by one and it's really interesting to me with the families i've worked with how um how there is kind of a pattern in this way um so um i will say i didn't propose the book to my publisher until i was certain that i had <laughs> all the material that i wanted um so um I noticed, I guess that the answer to this question goes back to what else is available on the market for pregnant women to read through their through their pregnancies. And I found um, the the model really, <laughs> the, maybe the kind of anti-model, the um, the uh, counterexample that I used was um, what to expect when you're expecting, which is along a similar line. Um, in the sense that um, it recognizing, recognizes that there are these different stages of pregnancy and it talks you through from a very biological standpoint what might be happening inside your body, um, what kind, but it also talks very systematically about what kind of appointments you might be offered or tests or wh whatever, what, uh, and it talks very prescriptively. Um, about what you should be eating or, or what people will do to you rather than uh, acting as if you had any choice in the matter. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to keep that same kind of structure, but um, to recognize um, the agency, the autonomy that people have um, to uh, and to sort of um, set it up as, as an exploration of pregnancy rather than a, a kind of prescriptive this is what will happen to you yeah so clearly in my mind from the beginning there were these discrete weeks and I tried to set it up so that each week 
matched what someone might be going through at that particular point in time. So at a time when my, somebody might be having a first ultrasound sonogram, uh, you know, uh, view of their baby, I talk about the mystery of the unknown, you know, so we can discover certain things about our babies, but there, there are still so many things that are unknown about them. So I weave that, uh, and, and then that fundamentally points to the kind of um, the deep mystery of the fact that we are kind of fundamentally unknown to one another and that, that God is the one who knows us. Um, and so that is placed in the book at, at, that, at that relevant moment. But um, I, <laughs> I, I didn't, so I, it was, I have a long gestation period, both for babies and for books, evidently. And uh, over a course of maybe four or five years, I collected this material just from, from my lived experience of reading the scriptures and of working with families. And every time something would strike me, I would go and stick it in um, the relevant chapter so it's kind of populate my, my structure for the book. Um, and then when I came to actually write it, once I had a deadline for my publisher, I would go back to all the stuff that I had dropped in um, as potential material for that particular chapter and then find out what didn't fit and throw it out and weave the rest into some kind of coherent um, theme for that for that week so it writing it was very much a, a process of weeding stuff out <laughs> and I feel I also feel that there's so much more that could be said the book combines and it's a I mean there, there's a very steady drumbeat a steady thread of the theological and the spiritual but then there's a pretty pretty consistent um theme of I guess the sort of the the physical side of and the progressive you know changes occurring in a woman's body psyche etc around pregnancy so those are really inter interwoven the sort of biological process that's happening inside of you and with your baby as it's growing and then all of these spiritual connections that you're that you're making some of the chapters are more more theological or, or abstract but that you always come back to the woman's actual experience um such that i mean it was so it was it was so diverse that i was a as i think i've already mentioned like somewhat surprised at all you were able to connect to pregnancy and just how natural it felt um and then also how just how how kind of dense it was um, in a good way, in the sense that I I just felt myself kind of taking notes and marking up the book as I as I went. I do feel like there's so many, there's so much there that there's we kind of have to latch on to to something to or just choose something because there's there's a lot of different directions we could go. Those images at the center of the book were really really fascinating and powerful to me. You mentioned being born again. That's obviously for anybody who is familiar with the Christian faith or who's grown up in the faith, et cetera. It's very, that's obviously like a central metaphor, um, from Christ's teaching of what it means to, to, you know, become part of the kingdom of God or to, yeah, to be in Christ. There's different ways of talking about it, but the idea of being born again, the conversation he has with Nicodemus, um, that that's one of the central images. You talk about light, you talk about baptism or water, 
<clears throat> and you talk about Easter, or I believe you'd call it Pascha in the Orthodox tradition, where, um, I mean, maybe that's a good one to, 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 to specifically talk about, because I'd like to just try to unpack like one image or, or chapter. So Easter, in, in the Easter section, you draw this comparison between, and maybe I can't remember if this was something that you had, you know, discovered in the church fathers and church mothers writings from some 1500 or more years ago, but labor, labor corresponds with crucifixion in this image. And then birth is resurrection. Um, I think what I, I actually want to ask about is like how you, once you latched onto and decided that, you know, there was enough material to, to connect a general uh, image from Christian tradition or from the teachings of Christ to pregnancy, how you, how you went about doing that, um, both in terms of how creative your interpretation of scripture is, as you mentioned, where two or three are gathered in my name. You also talk several times, you reference Isaiah 42, where God is referred to as a woman, uh, a laboring woman. So how did you kind of get down into the image of, of Easter um, and connect it to pregnancy? Or maybe it's just a way of asking you to, to talk, th- talk me through that metaphor a bit in your own words. Yeah, absolutely. So that question has two parts, doesn't it? And how, how did I get there? I really just got there by observing the process and being with families in that moment where they clearly walk through the same pattern that Christ um, models, that Christ exemplifies, that, that, that we follow um, through his death and resurrection. And it just was my experience um, in assisting at births that as women, we have to go down into the depths and we have to be brought low, um, both physically speaking, because um, the more advanced a, a woman's labor is, the, the lower she sinks down into the ground, just the natural posture that she takes. She, she ends up sort of first leaning down and then perhaps going on to all fours, hands and knees. And, and the, lower, the lower she gets to the earth, the more advanced her labor is, you can tell from watching her. Um, and, and to, but it's through this experience of utter self-giving, like coming to the point where you don't have anything left. And, and that's again, one of the stages of labor. Um, we call it transition. And it's actually a great sign for a doula um, because it's a sign that um, birth is about to happen. But it's when specifically a woman comes to the end of her tether and she says, I can't do this anymore. You know, like um, I need my mother or chop off my head now or send me home. Or, like we are at home, or <laughs> you know, impossible things um, come out of her mouth in that in that moment. And that's that's her cry in the depths of despair. Um, and yet it's it's because we go through that utter self-emptying for the sake of new life, for the sake of others, that um, joy can come into the world, that, that there's a new human being on the other side of it. Um, and so to me, it just quite clearly shared that that same pattern and you know the whole of life is like that really it it shouldn't be a big surprise to us that that labor is like that you know probably there could be a parallel 
book um, parallel to mine written about any aspect of life because um, all of life when we dig deep down shares this same pattern it's the the ultimate pattern um, of our life um, that uh, Christ's salvation is given to us through his self-giving love and our self our salvation our participation in that um it is is what um makes us one with him so uh, it was a blessing really to have it be like that because it felt like i didn't have to make anything up even though i said to you this this idea of pregnancy as a spiritual journey or a pilgrimage um a journey towards the kingdom of god was something that I kind of made up, that I, threads that I brought together. At the same time, um, that writing this book was very much an experience of um, blessing and a gift. That, and it was just something that had been given to me, some things that were terribly obvious to me, really, that I just had to kind of get down on paper for other people. And, and in that sense, I didn't feel like I needed to make anything up. So that was a great relief because, um, yeah, that that brought a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of relief when when on the late nights when I had my deadline looming and, and I realized, oh, actually, all I have to do is is pass on what I've been given, really. So. I don't know why those I don't know why. Some of the. Some of the passages just hit me so hard. I there's a I think it's in that section, that chapter where you quote John 16, where Jesus says basically just talks about labor and birth, which I've probably read, you know, a hundred times in my life, but something about stopping to think about that image. It's like John 16 is there's, he says something to the effect of a woman has anguish or pain because her time has come. And then basically as soon as she gives birth, she forgets that because of her joy. Mm, and it's not just, it's not just first comes one and then comes the other. It's not that she's like a ditzy amnesiac who just kind of forgets all about it because whoop-de-doo there's a baby it's actually that the passage to joy is somehow in a deeply mysterious way through the suffering um, and I think that's really our human condition so that, that that explains to me why that might why this book might resonate with you although you are a parent and you have seen your wife give birth um, yeah at the same time, right. you'll never. That's got to be part of it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's huge. But that, at the same time, you'll never um, be my target audience in the sense that you're, you'll never be a pregnant woman. Right. That's a whole interesting dynamic for me as well. And you just kind of the experience of, but, uh, of being a man and reading it and attending, but never, I'm never going to be pregnant. But finish the, finish the thought there. Birth is a universal experience. Even if we don't give birth ourselves, we were all born. And in that sense, also, there's a connection with death. Um, when we were discussing what we might talk about in this podcast, you were wondering um, about the connection that I draw between birth and death. And again, this is just something that I've observed in my work with people, um, that um, for many people, pregnancy is an experience for maybe for the first time of encountering the reality that they themselves will die one day and it's kind of like um, birth and death are the things that can't be delegated to anybody else you can't pay and pay somebody um, to die for you um, and if you're pregnant 
birth, whatever form it takes, you know, whether surgical or whether normal, uh, straightforward vaginal birth, you know, it, um, it is something that we that involves suffering that involves giving, um, giving up one's own way. Um, and so many of these of these themes are entirely universal, even though it, it seems like I'm writing just for orthodox pregnant women, which is kind of like a super small niche. But in fact, many of the <laughs> a niche of a niche of a niche, but many of my reviewers have said, oh, everybody should actually read this. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it might be a good time to just to talk a little bit about the book as and this is I'm gonna this is my language, my terminology, but I the more I reflected on it, I was like, this is really a feminist text in the sense that there's there's a big emphasis on um, the dignity of a woman, a woman's body, the dignity of a woman's body, the dignity of a, of a woman's um, role and the sacredness of her role as a co-creator with God. I know that Orthodox use the term Theotokos for Mary, mother of God, um, the God-bearer, I think is one of the traditional translations there. Yes. But Mary, you know, Mary, Mary recurs throughout your book and pretty you kind of jump in actually it's pretty hard hitting that's probably not the right term but like you you immediately get pretty deep within the first chapter i think where you're talking about the extent to which uh mary is a model for pregnant women but also that's probably the it's like we we think of that as christians obviously well mary mary was pregnant advent the nativity the birth of christ but also you really draw attention to the way in which she gave herself to the world <clears throat> through all of her life, not just through pregnancy. Mm. Um, and how difficult some of those aspects much, must have been, even after the the death, the resurrection, the ascension of, of Christ. She's then sort of, you know, maybe in some ways just so exhausted. <laughs> she's been through so much at that point in her human life, and then she's she's part of this movement to go and take the gospel through the world. So really, her whole her whole life, not just her pregnancy, was a was an act of selflessness to God. But again, the the sort of the dignity and virtue of a woman that felt like a big theme um, of the book. Did you did you find yourself consciously thinking? I don't even know exactly how to how to phrase the question, if I'm honest. But just sort of in terms of our contemporary milieu and just. You know, there's there's endless ways to think about and, and endless takes um, throughout church history on on anything from gender roles to sort of complementarianism. But when you thought when you thought about women specifically and kind of the way in which they're treated or valued or viewed both within the church and the culture, like how how did that inform the writing of this book? Let's uh, return to the subject of the Theotokos, Mary, the Virgin Mary. Um, so Theotokos means God birther, literally. Tokophobia, for example, is uh, is the uh, word that we use for fear of childbirth. And tokos, the, the Greek um, prefix there, um, is the same is the same word that we use in the Theotokos. So that that literally means the birth birth giver of God. And if we think about that, pause there for a second. That is incredible. I mean very credible but um it is it is <laughs> that is absolutely mind-blowing that in the womb of one single human being 
was God who can't be contained in the world. And in her arms was the creator, not only of her, but of everyone. And if she, you know, if she had a, that, that's such a huge responsibility. Like we, we stress out about whether we should eat sushi or, or like un, unpasteurized cheese during, during pregnancy. But can you imagine how the Theotokos felt like one false step and like you drop the child of God, like the son of God. So like, I mean, ev the whole of everything could be different. And I, I say that really to drive home the fact that her free will and her cooperation, her completely autonomous cooperation with God in this was completely vital to, to God's plan. And of course, God knew that she would say yes, but it was totally within her ability to say no when, when uh, the angel Gabriel came to her and made this... Uh, surprising proposition um and she said instead she said be it to, unto me according to your word but she could have said you know what I'm not up for that you know um I heard that a sword is going to pierce my heart and you know I I don't I, I, I don't really want that and who could blame her really because as you said her whole life was given over so so but so by having by turning her whole life over to Christ in the way that she did she's a model not just for pregnant women not just for women but for everyone who wants to be a christian because she shows us how to have god inside us so um in the front of every orthodox church you'll see this an example of this visually portrayed to you um and you'll see you'll walk in and you'll see right at the top of the ceiling or maybe in the in the ceiling um right at the front so like a a crowning place inside the physical church building um you'll see this icon of mary holding her arms up in a prayer gesture with a circle kind of a cut out see-through part um in in her belly with christ inside and so she is showing us that our life of prayer is about having inviting God to, to live inside us. So I really don't, in, in that sense, I really don't see the Theotokos just as a model for, again, a niche of a niche. It's, she's really fundamental to who we all are and she she's she's not just we, we think of her as being you know very demure and 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 not having much to say but in fact her agency is absolutely vital to the to the whole of salvation history and that's you know that's very um humbling that that god um allows us such freedom um and so it's a question of what we want to do with that that same freedom that that he gives to us or i do think that um i kind of have managed to get away with something rather big which <laughs> in in our in our today's culture um which is to and the reason i say i've got away with it is because actually up till now 
not many people seem to have noticed this except for maybe you so far um no one's mentioned it to me i kind of thought i might start getting hate mail and stuff but i i i do believe that fundamentally um and it's my experience uh, not only in my own pregnancies and births but also in supporting other people that fundamentally um pregnancy and birth are something uniquely female that is not replicable there there, there are I'm, there are absolute equivalents in in the life of of men um but um if i i can think of of many occasions in which men need to be to go into the depths in in order to 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 enter into full self-giving in order to to uh create new life to allow new life to come but um but uh pregnancy and birth are absolutely unique and um the journey that women need to walk in bringing new life into the world is the same journey that the Theotokos walked if we all stop doing it <laughs> the the rest of the future of salvation history would also come to a screeching halt um and um in that sense there is absolutely something very precious and very distinctive about what it means to be a woman that's why this book is um slightly more more than slightly is very subversive to the zeitgeist if we really pay attention to it but um yeah i'm quite happy to be flying under the radar in that regard that's that touches on my follow-up which was going to be about the references the more specific references to the the term you use is, you use is the dynamis, a woman's sort of primal expression of her primal power or energy. And this was really, you were talking about the, I think, as I'm remembering it, uh, you know, about kind of that final stage of, of active labor. You actually tell a story which was striking to me about, I think maybe it was your second birth. I can't remember, but like you, you described yourself as, walking up and down a hallway like on all fours and like howling like a wolf or uh, yes you that's know, right it was my this... second okay and I mean you put that in the book and it was such a kind of yeah a very perfect evocative image of just being out of your kind of abstract higher brain and down in a very embodied uh, part of yourself um, I don't really know if there's a if there's a question in there, but that I mean that's kind of the perfect example of of a of a passage or a way of of treating and kind of <clears throat> talking about a woman's experience that felt uh, I was I just noted that it did feel like it it didn't fit neatly. This book doesn't feel to me like it actually fits neatly into the kind of uh, polarized or bifurcated boxes that that we often unfortunately put everything from cultural products like films and books and just kind of categorize ourselves and sort other people into i mean there's a you know it's it's not surprising to anyone who's familiar generally with christianity to to hear me say that that in a, in a grand in the grand scheme of things orthodoxy is a is on the more traditional or conservative end of the spectrum of worldwide you know streams or or traditions within christianity 
but but a passage like that is is sort of just unapologetically talking about not in a way that's subversive or sort of uh anti-conservative i don't even know how to phrase it but it's it struck me as something that was not stereotypically um yeah conservative at least in in, in the way that sort of American politics and, and religion have, have come to sort of sort themselves, which was so refreshing to me. It's like, they, here, are my, here are my spiritual views, but then this, these are also the realities of what it is to be a woman, in that, and there is a lot of, there's this primal energy there, which again, to me, tracked with like this kind of, um, yeah, feminist, feminist uh, spirit. Which I think is totally in line with the gospel, but not you don't always see those. I guess married is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I think it depends what you mean by feminist, and that could be the t- topic of a different podcast. Yeah, that's that's a very loaded, it's a loaded term, but want something that centers women. Yeah, and you, you're absolutely right. So one thing that is often said about the Orthodox Church as a whole is that um, it is more traditional than traditional, the most traditional you could ever get. And yet also the most um, charismatic and free that you could ever get. So it's um, you talked about polarization and we, we might think of the church in those terms too. So it's like inhabiting both extremes of the church equally at the same time. So, so um, very spirit-oriented and open but at the same time relying entirely on on the tradition of of the church and and keeping staying faithful to to the teachings of Christ as passed down through the centuries by holy people and um yeah so so i guess maybe that's where you get that impression from too but um just to th- to loop back around to the story about crawling around because for somebody who who might who's not familiar with childbirth that might not sound like a very empowered type of thing to do to like be brought so low that you're literally crawling around acting like an animal but uh, but that was kind of the point of that little story actually is that to somebody watching from the outside that was like, oh, poor woman, like, oh, she's in a terrible state, you know, <laughs> uh, what can we do to, her, to sort her out, you know, um, and uh, instead, the experience of that from the inside was that I was standing in my power, I was the most strong I had ever been, I was like, I was feeling the forces of nature, like, moving through me, and that was a tremendously empowering experience, um, in the sense that it was an experience of power. It didn't give me power because the power it turned out was already inside me, but it was, a, it was an experience of, of encounter with the creative energies of God. I think like, like a small taste of that. And um, again, we think of, maybe we think of pregnancy as like cutesy and, you know, pastel colored and, you know, it doesn't help when all the books that we read are illustrated with pictures of teddy bears and rattles and stuff that just does not reflect the depth of this experience whatsoever. Um, uh, because it is uh, an encounter with something very powerful. Uh, and as I would see it with, with God, like a, a close brush with, with God. Um, there are these times of our lives where as in Celtic spirituality um, 
we refer to um, thin places that, that happen in the world, like thin, thin places, maybe um, a, a hillside that is misty and it kind of has the sense of otherworldliness or something like that. And I think we have these thin places in our hearts too or in our lives where um, heaven and earth just seem to touch a little bit more closely than they than they usually do and I think um, pregnancy and especially labor and birth are such places so um, power <laughs> um, yeah and I, I just want to also affirm that what I am not saying in this book um, at all is that women who don't get to experience this sense of power that I'm talking about for whatever reason um, are any less powerful or any less woman that's definitely not what I'm saying but I am saying that the experience of giving birth can be um, a, a kind of um, encapsulation of that power and, and it can be a place where, where, the, where it's experienced very, very directly. Before we end, I'd like to, to just talk, if we can, a little bit about what comes after birth. And you do talk about children and parenting in the book. That's the natural, uh, that's the natural progression. You're pregnant, and then, <laughs> and then you've got a kid for a lot longer than you were pregnant. <laughs> yeah, then the really hard work starts, right? God willing. So... Um, yeah, I think, you know, just kind of be candid and, and 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 sort of just think out loud about why this book struck me so hard. I mean, I just cried a few times reading it, is that uh, being a parent has been way harder than I thought it would be. I just didn't feel prepared. And some of that's circumstantial with some of the things that have happened with my children and and or just the circumstances that my wife and I are in and everybody has, everybody has their own situation, but suffice it to say, I've had some dark moments as a, as a young parent. Um, and I, 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 partially it's just like the aspect of being, of being blindsided by that or just unprepared sort of the dissonance from what I would have, what I had hoped or sort of expected in my ignorance before the veil of ignorance was torn asunder <laughs> and I was shown what it would actually be like to be up six hours a night for three years or whatever. But I think in light of that, the, the passages in light of kind of that, that's part of why I guess it's that it feels so tender to me still to think about my children as uh, and you talk about this um again pretty early in the book you interest you introduce this idea of your your children or infants and children as as themselves being images of christ because there's such a tension there has been such a tension for me of this in you know basically these intense moments of joy and then these intense moments of frustration or anger or just feeling overwhelmed and like I don't have bandwidth anymore in my life. So I, I guess I, I've realized in part in reflecting that I've, I'm much more familiar with and in some ways comfortable with <clears throat> the idea, which is also, you know, a big idea in Christian teaching and theology of the seeing Christ in the poor the homeless, the suffering, and to some extent, my work has taken me more in that direction, 
of interacting with folks. And, and then I became a parent. And in reading your book, I was like, man, I don't think of my kids in that way. Sometimes, and I think this is just a gift I'm given or like this at, at my better moments, I'm able to see <clears throat> the process of being a parent or the act, the experience of being a parent as sort of an opportunity for spiritual growth. Mm. Wow. Another opportunity to be patient. Wow. Yet another opportunity to be patient. Um, but to, <laughs> but I have not consciously thought of my children um, as, you know, the way you put it as to, you ask at one point, what would it be like if we regarded our little ones as images of God being revealed in the world? And that is just a different lens to put on the daily life of, of a parent. Um, is that something that you have, have thought about for a long time? And I think I, what I want to, I find myself wanting to ask you is, is about how the process of uh, excavating any of these images throughout the course of what sounds like, you know, numerous years of, of sort of gestating and then drafting and then finally publishing this book. Like how has that affected your experience and your reflections on your experiences of being a parent? Yes. Well, let me give you an example. Um, when I gave birth to my first child and held him in my arms for the first time, I had the strangest immediate sensation, which was as in spiritual sensation. I had some strange mm -hmm. immediate physical sensations too, <laughs> but let's talk, not talk about those right now. Um, uh, I just thought, hang on, here he is in my arms. I'm looking at my brother and I don't have a brother. So I'm, I'm not talking about a physical resemblance. I'm talking about a kind of spiritual kinship that we have um, with all our fellow human beings. And uh, I somehow, I, I felt very maternally towards him. And of course I, I took care of him and his absolute vulnerability in, that, in those early days and weeks and months. But I really had the sense from the beginning that in some sense, he was my spiritual equal because he was as much a, a child of God as I was and with every bit as much dignity and purpose in the world. Um, and so <laughs> that has been a guiding light for me in my experience as a parent. And now, <laughs> just a matter of a couple of weeks ago, we sent that child off to university for the first time. Wow. And when you were describing your moments of great darkness you know that have come to you in your time as a parent I I must say that the experience of sending your first kid off to college for me was very much an existential experience um and and sort of thinking like is this all the time that we had is this all all I got to do you know and, and feeling very much aware of my um of my own failures uh, over the years and um but then to be able to return to this idea that my that he and all my children and every one of us uh is a child of god and has their own relationship with god just as much as i do or you do um whether that's acknowledged or not acknowledged god is there and 
so um, even if he moves off, you know, moves away to college and, and makes his own life as an adult and I don't get to go with him, you know, God, God is already wherever he's going to go. So um, I guess that, and, and, and all the places in between, you know, all the spit up and the temper tantrums and the trying to get to school on time and the, you know, vomiting in the middle of the night and all those things and the, the endless extracurricular activities or whatever it is, those things are all, if we, if we regard our journey in this world, whether through pregnancy or parenting or whatever God calls us to, as being a journey um, towards the kingdom. I mean, I guess it comes back to what is the purpose of life, really? Just a small, small question, no biggie. Um, like, why are we here? What, what is our, what is the purpose of our days? And um, uh, I think it was St. Isaac the Syrian said, this life has been given to you for repentance. Do not waste it in vain pursuits. And so that kind of, to me, is a, is a watchword. Like we're here, we're here to repent. We're here to turn our hearts towards God. We're here um, to not to just spend time until we, you know, get taken up, but actually to, to mold our hearts into the shape that they need to be to, to be soft in order, enough to receive God's love. and. Um, so that's what I have made my humble life's mission to try just to try to be soft enough um, to receive love. And I think pregnancy pummels us and makes us softer. And that's why I think see it as a journey towards the kingdom. Well, that's one of the reasons. But also <laughs> parenting in a major way pummels us um, because it exposes our own weakness so much. But that's really just a gift. It's it's a kind it's a deep suffering but it's also um a gift that that allows us to like we we said share the shape of the resurrection by by going down into the depths that, so that we can also be raised so um yeah so kudos to you for all you're doing and <laughs> well please stick with it it's i'm gonna stick with it i won't say it gets easier yeah. but <laughs> but maybe maybe it does because maybe we learn Maybe we learn slowly how how to how to be more graceful in the in the same trials that that keep coming up. Well, Laura, the book manages, in in my reading, in my opinion, to take what is actually a pretty, I mean, such a visceral, uh, deeply personal experience, such that you might imagine it kind of defies really being fully encapsulated in language, which of course you can't fully get down everything, but it, it takes that topic and just breaks it open beautifully and comes at it from, from so many rich angles. I was just kind of endlessly surprised by the book, very moved, as I've said. Thank you so much for writing it, and thank you so much for, for sharing some of your time with me today to discuss it. Thank you, it's been a pleasure.
Faith in Letters is a production of Fax Animus Studios. Our production assistant is Tess Seabright, fact-checking by Dean Gilbert, and special thanks to Lydia Bradley.